0: In this episode of Unraveled, Gabe Oatley talks about how the future of payday lending is connected to postal banking. My name is Fwam Fojo and this is Unraveled.
1: Well, uh, the house that I live in uh, is basically what I can afford. Uh, It's uh, Let's just say it's not in the greatest of neighborhoods.
2: That's the voice of Peter Yoganellen. He's 52 years old and he lives in Moncton, New Brunswick.
1: There's uh, like a soup kitchen and a homeless shelter down the road. Basically, I've seen everything in this neighborhood.
2: Peter lives in a part of town where many people are struggling to get by. And Peter's one of those folks, too. He's also one of thousands of Canadians who have gotten snaggled up with payday lenders. Today, we're going to hear Peter tell that story. It's complicated and it's sensitive, like many of our own stories with money are. And later, we're going to hear from a group that's trying to prevent the circumstances like the one Peter's facing. And curiously, it's an initiative led by postal workers. Yeah, the folks who bring you your mail. And it's called postal banking. Wait for it. In 2008, Peter and his then-partner lived on a small island in the Bay of Fundy. Both of them worked in the fishery business, but things got challenging for Peter when he got a diagnosis.
1: Getting diagnosed with uh, losing my sight, actually, I have uh, peripheral dispersion glaucoma. So they're like, you driving a boat, working a boat, working in, uh, on the docks, running a forklift, this sort of thing. Really dangerous, not just dangerous to yourself, but to everyone around you.
2: Work was also unstable for his partner, too. As a woman, there weren't as many job opportunities open to her. And the work was seasonal, meaning that money wasn't always stable. To try and even things out and to create a job that Peter could put more of his time into, they opened up a bed and breakfast. This was all working out okay until things started breaking down with their house.
1: There was problems with the, uh, the heating in there. We had uh, like a chimney. Uh, in the chimney, there was a small fire in there.
2: They got a $10,000 line of credit to do the renovations.
1: Uh, The problem was is that it's great to get that. But uh, if anything happens where one person is not working, you run into, you fall behind on that.
2: After that, things started to snowball. And once they started snowballing, they didn't really stop.
1: And then all the costs of just the renovations and everything kind of forced us so that we had to sell the house. Uh, We had to get rid of the business altogether. Uh, At that point, you have no credit, nothing like this. Um,
2: As a result of the whole situation, Peter and his partner ended up breaking up.
1: We went to court for custody of the kids and visitation and all that. When I got custody of the kids, um, you know, the biggest thing is they were saying, you know, when the kids visit, make sure that you have everything they need. So, I mean, I had the basics. I had, you know, the kitchen table and the chairs and this sort of thing. But I didn't really have anything that was like a living room set.
2: Peter's computer had also broken down. So now he had two things he needed, the sofa set and a new laptop, but he didn't have the money. So he went to the bank and tried to get a loan. And
1: they were just like, no, no, you're, you're already you know, too far out there.
2: One of his friends suggested that Peter look into the lease to own products offered by Easy Financial, a local payday lender. His friend told him that he had loans there too.
1: Uh, What I didn't realize is they were doing something here, which was called refer a friend. They would get $100 off the loan by doing this for them.
2: Based in part on the recommendation from his friend, Peter purchased a new computer and a sofa set with Easy Financial. Only this wasn't a typical purchase. Peter didn't have the money to pay for these things outright, so he used the company's lease-to-own program. Under this service, his laptop cost him just 50 bucks a month and the sofa set just 75. At first things were going okay. Peter was using the laptop to chat with his kids and he had a sofa there for when they came to visit. He was also working at a call center and work was steady at the time. All of this helped him to pay off the laptop. But then his eyes started acting up and he hurt his knee. He had to take a bunch of time off work and he ended up falling behind on his sofa payment. One day after his miss bill, Peter noticed a block on his computer. Anytime he turned it on, he saw this weird pink screen that wouldn't allow him to do anything on it. He confronted Easy Financial about it, but the manager said that it wasn't their doing.
1: Here's the thing, he says, we didn't put the block on. And as I said to him, I said, that's impossible that somebody else would have done this. What do you mean?
2: Peter managed to get some help from a friend who worked at a law office. The friend drafted up a letter saying that what Easy Financial was doing wasn't legal. Peter took it to the office and the next day, the hold was removed. But over the following months, Peter's financial challenges continued. Work was on and off and he had trouble making his loan payments. And It mattered. The monthly interest rate on the loan was high, nearly 50%. And if he didn't have any funds in the account when Easy Financial tried to charge him, he'd be dinged with an insufficient funds fee, or NSF for short.
1: Even when I called him and I said, what's this NSF fee? Like, where's that? Oh, it's on page 10 of your 12-page agreement. And I'm like, okay... I'll I'll have a look at it, but, you know, really? And it just seems like it's kind of like a wink and a smile and, oh, you'll be fine.
2: Later, Peter called Easy Financial several times to try and sketch out a plan for paying back the loan. But he says he always had a tough time getting a straight answer about how much money he still owed. Eventually, his case was sent from Easy Financial to a collections agency.
1: So right now, it's just sitting on my, uh, bringing down my credit score. If I was to try and go get a loan right now, they're saying, no, you have to pay this whole thing off. You know, um, when you're partially cited, job options are really kind of limited.
2: Today, despite having made many payments on the sofa set, the collections agency says that Peter still owes Easy Financial $2,350. The sticker price on the set originally was about $500 less than that.
1: Oh, it's in a way it's embarrassing, you know, because I feel kind of like uh, people would say, you know, yeah, how could you be so dumb? At the time, it was just I was in a desperate situation, not really thinking it through, maybe as well as I should have. Um, like I had a friend of mine who referred me over there, told me how good it was going to be, and everything like this, and I kind of took their word for it. And then later on, they're having problems themselves. Um, you know, I kind of feel like it was almost like I was duped. Um, it's embarrassing, kind of saying this. I know a lot of people don't want to even admit that they're <laughs> that they were duped this badly.
2: Peter may feel like he was duped, but Brian Dishcome believes that many people who take out these sorts of loans are just doing the best they can in really challenging circumstances. Brian is an economist with a think tank called Cardus. Over the last decade, he's studied the challenge of payday lending extensively.
3: But most people, unless you're a very rare duck these days, um, have need for some sort of credit. Credit is real, credit's been around forever.
2: The challenge, he says, is that different people have access to different sorts of credit good credit, which is often easy to access, cheap and flexible, and on the other end of the spectrum, bad credit, which can be tough to access, can be expensive, and can be highly inflexible. On the best side, you have something that Brian calls natural credit. This is money that you can borrow from someone in your network.
3: The way I describe that, in terms of like the realistic world, is that's the bank of mom and dad, or the bank of your best friend, or the bank of your ethnic community, or what have you.
2: This is the best type of credit because it's flexible. You can ask a friend for an extra couple of months to pay back your debt, and they probably aren't charging you an arm and a leg to borrow. But not everybody has a bank of mom and dad who can loan them money. Cardis has polled Canadians on this, and they found that 33% of respondents don't know anybody who could even loan them 100 bucks. So natural capital is out for at least a quarter of the population. What are these other folks gonna do? Well, there are other types of capital along the spectrum. Next is a line of credit. It's slowish interest, but typically secured against an asset like a car or a house. And most folks don't have that. Then there's credit cards, cash advances, and pawn shops.
3: Pawn loans are the next next sort of contestant on the price is wrong, you know, as far as uh, usury is concerned.
2: As you move down this spectrum, the terms of the credit are worse for the borrower. Loans are more costly, less flexible, and sometimes even less available. Nearing the end of the spectrum of credit is where we find payday lenders. They offer loans like the one Peter Access for folks who are in a bind. Brian says that payday loans are bad.
3: The way way I always describe it is they're really bad. Like they're like just straight up, let's be honest, they're really bad.
2: But he also says that the folks who are using them aren't being irrational.
3: so a lot of people are like, well, these people are so stupid. You know, like, why would you ever do that? And I'm like, well, they're not stupid, actually. Compared to, say, losing your car and not getting to work and getting fired, that cost might actually be better.
2: Losing your car, not getting to work or getting fired, or say being denied access to your kids because you don't have a space that a court deems
3: to be suitable for them. It's a rational choice within the, within the constrained choices being offered by the person using it.
2: Given these limited options for working class people, many groups have been pushing for improved access to credit. Groups like ACORN, an organization that Peter is part of, are pushing for lower interest fees on payday loans, for lowering the cost of insufficient funds penalties and for making loans more flexible. In parallel to this advocacy, there's another group working to help improve things for low-income people, your friendly neighborhood postal worker. Uh, My name's Jan
0: Simpson, and I'm the national president for the Canadian Union of Postal Workers. So I began working at Canada Post when I was in high school. I was working on Eastern Avenue at South Central in the sortation plant, so I was sorting the mail.
2: Over the last half decade, Jan's union has been hard at work on a vision of postal banking. That is your local post office offering affordable banking services. And
0: as we saw banks closing and uh, financial payday loans coming up on every corner, we realized, and I think finally Canada Post realized too, this was a great opportunity for us to get in to help those who are underbanked and to help the citizens as as well as bring revenue into Canada Post.
2: In September, Canada Post started rolling out their first postal banking products at the post office locations in Nova Scotia and Alberta. The product is called a My Money Loan. They're installment loans of up to $10,000 and provided at interest rates of between 6% and 16%, a significant difference from the 46% that Peter paid on his couch loan. And crucially, Jan says, the terms of the loan are transparent. I think think it's very
0: transparent because you can go to the website and you can type in the amount of money that you want to borrow the interest rate and actually see what the loan payout would have to be at the end as well.
2: With this product, Canada Post is hoping to help folks like Peter.
0: I think for us, you know, we're looking at anybody who, number one, is underbanked and working people who also need smaller loans without astronomical interest rates and who need flexible uh, repayment schedules as well. We saw through the pandemic that many banks closed in rural areas. So those folks also we hope to target them, especially like indigenous communities. And also a lot of people who are here as temporary foreign workers in that.
2: To roll out this first product, Kenna Post has partnered with TD Bank, a similar move that has been done with the rollout of postal banking in other countries like France and Switzerland. To apply for the loan, customers fill out a brief application. If they're approved, they can then sign for their loan and get their check at their postal branch. That's the process today, but ultimately Jan and many of her fellow postal workers are keen for a much broader, uh, much more independent role.
0: Alone At this time right now with, with Canada Post partnering with the TD Bank, it's the initial start. But for us as postal workers, we want to go to where we're a full-fledged public postal bank.
2: This is just one part of the union's Delivering Community Power campaign, a broader vision that seeks to green the Canada Post and turn it into an essential community hub. 10 years into the future, Jan is keen to see a much broader role for the post office.
0: Well, first and foremost, the Postal Bank would now be a public bank that's fully owned by and run by postal workers. And then secondly, you would see senior check in services where we, we go to the seniors homes and check in and make sure they're OK. That way it gives them a, a you know some independence for quite a longer time instead of going to live in nursing homes and that there are. It gives us a sense of independence and some security for the families who may not live in the same neighborhood as their loved ones. And we know this is happening in Japan and other countries as well. And we're also looking at, you know, greening the post office to change the fleet to to a green fleet to help bring down the emissions within the country around the world as well.
2: It may be a surprising transformation, but Jan says it makes good sense. There are around 6000 post offices from coast to coast, many more than most banks offer. Moreover, postal workers visit many homes on a daily basis, creating an opportunity to check in on elderly residents. And Canada Post's delivery fleet is huge. Electrifying their vehicles would make a big dent in GHG emissions reductions. And for Jan, as a postal worker, it's personal. It means an opportunity for, for, for me as
0: a postal worker to see people who come into the retail counter actually have hope and access to, to loans and know that they're going to be getting a fair, a fair rate of interest for them.
2: Both Brian and Peter are hopeful about postal banking, but they're more measured in their optimism than Jan. Brian's skeptical that Canada Post will be able to get enough customers to think post office when they need a loan. And he's also unsure about how possible it'll be to retrain postal workers to offer banking products. Peter says that it's a step in the right direction, but he's waiting on the details. He's curious about what kind of a stress test the product will have, i.e. like what your income needs to be to actually get one. If it's a higher stress test, many folks are still gonna need to maybe use payday loans instead. And he's got an eagle eye on the interest rate.
1: So I'm, I'm happy to see that they're doing it. However, I would hold that they, you know, the interest is low, um, you know, four to 5%, that sort of thing would be definitely helpful.
2: And while Canada Post is doing their thing, Peter isn't waiting. He's joined up with ACORN and is an active member of their New Brunswick chapter. He's advocating for improved federal regulation of payday lending, calling on the big banks to offer better credit products for low income people and pushing groups like Canada Post too.
1: People are looking at me and they're going, oh, you have a university education, you have a degree in sociology or something like that, don't you? And I'm like, no, I'm just a regular Joe. I'm just tired of seeing this happen to everybody and seeing my friends going through problems. You know, speak up and you know what? You'd be amazed what you can accomplish.
0: This episode was produced by Gabe Oatley. Our associate producer is Taha Hashmani, and our executive producer is Elena Duluigi. Special thanks to John Powers for composing our theme music, and Ben Shelley for creating our podcast artwork. Our professor is Amanda Capito, And special thanks to Lindsay Hanna and Angela Glover.